Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jill Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming to Madlet Musings. Today, we have Erin Bartles with us. She's published from Ravel Publishing, and she has a new release. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your writing, who you are, what you write, and this great new release that has an amazing cover? Yes, I can. I would love to. Um, so I am the author of four novels now, and The Girl Who Could Breathe Underwater is the latest. Um, people might know me from the others. Uh, we Hope for Better Things was my debut, uh, The Words Between Us, and All That We Carried. And generally, I write what you would probably categorize as women's fiction or book club fiction. Um, I think that if it were a man writing it or if there were male protagonists, it would just be called fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's not, it's not a particular genre like mystery or suspense or romance or anything like that. So uh, they tend to be family oriented stories, um, not meaning that they're necessarily appropriate for your whole family all the time, but that um, they're about family relationships friendships, sisters, uh, things like that. And um, yeah, they are contemporary for the most part, although I have done dual timeline stories with some historical elements as well. Right, right. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about this specific one. The Girl Who Could Breathe Underwater already has my brain going in a lot of directions going, nobody (laughs) can breathe underwater. So how does this happen? So tell us a little (laughs) bit about this story. Sure, sure. Um, The Girl Who Can Breathe Underwater is the story of a woman named Kendra, who is, I would say, I think she's in her 20s. It's been a while now since I really thought about it. You know how many times you read your own book, you would think that you'd remember all of it, but I think I'm getting to the age where that's just not going to happen anymore. Um, But she has written a book. She's an author. It was well-received, except she got a letter from an anonymous, very disappointed reader that's really got her stumped with writing her next book, which is under contract. And she's having a lot of trouble getting going because of the criticisms in this letter, which accuse her of getting the story wrong, taking the wrong person's side um, and things like that. And it's clear from the letter that this person realizes that this book was based on some of Kendra's real life experiences. And she feels like she needs to address the um, person who she painted as the protagonist or excuse me the antagonist in her book Mm -hmm. and um, she's doing this by going back up to uh, a cabin that she spent every summer of her her life at for the first 18 years of her life and um, she's revisiting this place of her youth where she had a best friend um, that was a very complicated friendship Uh, the best friend's brother who um, is the person the antagonist is based on and a mentor of hers and, and all of this. So it's kind of a, a summer at the lake, but not necessarily like a fun one because <laughs> there's a lot going on that she needs to address from the past, but there is an unexpected guest, which is always fun and a little bit of romance as well. So fun. there's some lighter elements. That's good. <laughs> Sometimes you need those lighter elements to offset the... Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
otherwise it could get a, just a little bit too dark. A little bit too dark. It's okay. I'm all about dark. We know that, but yes, that's true. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that it says in here on the back cover copy is you plumb the depths of the human heart with emotional exploration of how a friendship dies, how we can face the unforgivable, and how even those who have been hurt can learn to love with abandon. So it sounds like there's a theme going on here a little bit in your book as far as kind of that Joseph story maybe of how God takes evil and turns it into good. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. I think that there that actually is something that shows up in a number of my books, I think. Um, I'm not sure why that particular theme really resonates with me because I had an extremely easy childhood. You know, I, I in general have a great life. So <laughs> it's not that like I'm trying to exercise my own personal demons in every book. But um, but I think that we live in a very unforgiving world. Mm. We live in a world that um, at the same time, it says, almost everything's okay. And you shouldn't be ashamed of ever, anything that you ever do or ever think. Um, at the same time, if somebody is called to repent of something, people have a really hard time believing that they're sorry, uh, a really hard time actually forgiving them. And I think with, you know, the rise of cancel culture and not even asking people to apologize, just immediately saying, no, we're cutting this person out of life. We're ruining their life. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a hard time to be a human, I think. Um, and we live in a really, we live in a tough situation. And I think that people are just not great at, at giving each other grace a lot of the times. Right. And um, sometimes that's from the world. Sometimes it's from Christians. And I think that um, that's why I keep coming back to that theme of, are there unforgivable things? Right. Because it seems like we keep hearing about a lot of things that are really awful. Um, but are those things truly unforgivable? And even if you have trouble forgiving, or um, even if somebody's not sorry, mm -hmm. how do you move on from there? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's tough, especially that last part if somebody's not sorry. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, even when you, when you hear, you know, public apologies from people, you're like, nah, I don't know about that. They were pressured into doing that. They don't really care. <laughs> I call them your complimentary apologies. Right. There's your complimentary <laughs> apology for the week. <laughs> exactly. So I just, you know, and, and the, the way we're all connected online makes all of this worse. I feel oh, like, yeah. because you know more about people that you, you would never know about or care about mm -hmm. in normal life. Um, and you somehow feel like they owe something to you. Even if, even if you don't even know them in real life. Right. I find it interesting how, you know, a headline will read so-and-so finally comes clean. And I'm like, like what they owed the world an explanation about yeah. this private thing that happened in their life. Yeah. But we and do. I think that's, titles. you know, what we're being trained to expect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, sure. and I, I think also it within the church, I think if you've, if you've been in, in the church for most of your life, like I have, and you've, you're somebody who likes to please people like teachers and parents and things like that. You do your best to never mess up. Right. Ever. Right. And if you can manage to do that for long enough, you can feel pretty judgmental about people who in your eyes have messed up. Mm -hmm. But I think it's not until you really screw up yourself. Uh, you know, those who have been forgiven much love much. Right. And I think that that's, um, that's something that's good for, for people to have really 
screwed up and been forgiven so that they can see, oh, this is what that's all about. This is, yeah. and this is what God did for me, right. that I am actually forgiven for, for the things that I've done. And so then I should extend that to others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that concept of forgiveness is a great one, <laughs> but it's, it's not always easy. Um, oh, no. How do you get to the point of, especially if you're wishing things were different, you know, you can't go back and erase yeah. the past, but yet the past leaves its scars and it's exactly. Wrong. So how do you find forgiveness when you might have an infected wound, so to speak yet? Yeah. Yeah. And people can have different situations. There's, you know, the situation in which you've been wronged and you actually can talk to the person who, who you believe has wronged you and you can actually work things out and hopefully come to some sort of resolution that's comfortable for you where you feel like, okay, I can forgive this person. So in some cases they're long gone. There's no way to even talk about it. Um, and I think that there are certain wounds that really just stick with you. Wounds that come from parents, wounds that come from people you thought you should, should be able to trust. Um, and those are really hard to even bring up with people. Sometimes right. we're very trained. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and you just don't bring up stuff. <laughs> you just shove it all down inside yep. and uh, let it fester, um, which is super healthy. <laughs> Insert sarcasm there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in my own case of, you know, part of this book is, is drawing on some of my own experiences uh, when I was younger, um, where I did have a chance to, and I did actually confront the person who was um, somebody who abused me. And um, at the time I asked, well, you know, why did you, why did you do this? And he, he answered that he, he didn't know, like he admitted that he had done it. Like I needed to know, like you, you remember doing this, right. It's not just me that like is making a big deal out of this. Right. And uh, he said he didn't know. And I was dissatisfied with that answer, but I still worked to forgive him for doing that. Cause he said he was sorry. Okay. Um, but later on in life, you know, that comes back to you again and again, and it might be something that you have to do multiple times. Right. Um, but the real turning point for me in my own situation was when I finally told my story to a couple of people who um, asked a question that hadn't occurred to me, where I, I was talking to my sister about it and a very good um, childhood friend. And both of them have training in social work. And my sister was a child protective services worker for a long time, an adult protective services worker. And um, both of them said the same thing. First of all, they said, I'm really sorry that happened to you. And immediately after they said, I wonder what happened to him. Mm. It never occurred to me to ask about what happened to this other person. It was all about me. Right. And I think that forgiveness comes from, it, it's easier when you recognize that anybody who hurts another person doesn't do it out of nowhere. Right. Uh, behaviors are learned. Mm -hmm. And something probably happened to that person. That doesn't mean what they did was okay, but it helps you empathize with them and understand mm -hmm. that um, they may not know why they did that. Right. But if you dig a little deeper, maybe, maybe you can figure it out. And in my own town's history, there is something that happened um, with a teacher who was part of a scout troop who went to jail for like 25 years for uh, molesting the boys in his troop. And when I realized, oh my gosh, he's the age of those guys. He's in the same grade. 
And I bet he was in that troop. And I don't know that for sure, but that thought of like something probably happened to him Mm -hmm. helped me get to the point of like, okay, I'm done being upset about this. Sure. And, and with the Joseph story, you know, you asked about Mm -hmm. lots of terrible things happened to that poor guy, (laughs) Um, but God did use things for good. And in my life, the thing that happened to me as a kid made me a more resilient person. It made me um, want to compete to be the best. I didn't want to be second fiddle to any guys. I didn't compete with girls, but I definitely competed with guys. And um, I just, I wanted to be in control of myself and to be strong and not to be somebody who was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it did turn me in some ways into the person I am today. Sure, sure. Yeah, and God can use those painful experiences to do that and to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our our relationship with him. It is interesting though. I mean, that's a that's a I don't know, in my brain it's a very courageous thing to stop and wonder what happened to the wrongdoer. You know, the abuse. Yeah, and because you don't want to think that when you're wronged. No, cuz you want to you want to say why me? Right. And it's all about me and me being hurt. And I think people can camp out in that victim mentality mm-hmm. and get really comfortable in it and feel like anything then that goes wrong in their life is because of something somebody did to them. Right. When in reality, yeah, people do nasty things all the time, sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident. But that doesn't mean that you have to live a life that's controlled by that. Right, right, right. No, that's very, very true. Are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. And so when you look at that then, and you look at that in story form or whether it's in real life form, how do you feel that um, level of empathy grow and overtake the, the anger or the hurt? Mm. You know, cause you can, you can think about their life and go, okay, I have empathy for them, but your hurt is still very strong. Yes. Yes. And, you know, depending on, you know, what happened to you, it could be terrible. I mean, right. I, I think of, people who, uh, parents who've lost children because of violence or something like that. Um, and how so many of them who are Christians are able to forgive. I can't even imagine going through that sort of thing. And I think that that takes a tremendous amount of faith and generosity and grace to be able to do that. And certainly, you know, what's happened to me in my life is nothing nothing compared to that. And I think that one of the things that makes it easier is in some cases getting perspective. Okay. Okay. What happened to me? What happens to people all over the world is what happened to me really as bad as I'm making it out to be. Maybe it is. Mm -hmm. And if it is, then, you know, where do you go from there? How do you get past that time? I think helps. These are things that I've been thinking about for more than 30 years because this happened 
when I was nine years old and I'm 42. Okay. And um, so it's been a really, it's been on my mind for a really long time. Sure. So time helps. And I think also what I was saying before, like when you screw up, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> it helps you to be a more <laughs> empathetic person, you know, and just like when you have kids, you, you learn patience more and you like learn to like, not be upset when people are late to things. Cause you're like, okay, I get it. Right. You, know, you had to like deal with all this junk going on at home or, or whatever. And I, I think that the older you get, the more you realize that the world doesn't revolve around you. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's so much better of a life when you forgive easily. Mm. and extend grace easily rather than holding on to your anger. It's better for you. It's better for that person. And it's certainly a better witness to God's working in your life. Right. Right. Yeah. That element of grace is such an important key to forgiveness. Um, And then I am always drawn back to the scripture where it talks about, and as a child, I was always confused by the verse, but you know, for when I'm weak, then you are, then I am strong. And I was like, how do you get strong when you're weak? But that concept <laughs> of, you know, being broken yeah. and falling, but then finding your strength in the one who heals, yeah, being able to offer his grace to even the wrongdoer or the injustice of the situation is a huge, a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're, we're often also caught up on what we deserve and we think that, oh, well, I'm a good person. So I deserve right. this from God. And I think it's remembering that anything, any grace that you get is undeserved. It's, it's unmerited favor. That's what it is. And I think that's what hangs people up sometimes with forgiving. Well, this person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, of course they don't. That's Mm -hmm. why it's forgiveness. If they deserved it, it would just be recompense. I mean, it would just be getting what they were supposed to get. Um, You know, that's easy, but all forgiveness is undeserved. Right, right. Well, and you know, my husband and I have talked before that there's like this unspoken caste system to sin, you know, like this yeah. isn't as bad as this sin, therefore. Right, right. I'm know. not as bad as these people, so right. I'm going to point right. the finger at them. And- exactly. And you know, in the end, sin is sin, and even the smallest one separates us from, from yeah. Christ, you know, compared to the largest. And the consequences may be different, but, you know, the actual separation from Christ comes with a little white lie versus you know, mass. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's there. And so that grace is so critical and that forgiveness is so critical and it's yeah. just like you said. So, so with your character, how does, does she go on a journey that kind of parallels what we've been talking about? Um, to some extent now, um, my, my books don't often have people who are necessarily Christians as the protagonist. Sure. Uh, my first book did, they were there were three protagonists and there were sort of varying levels of how they were involved in their faith. But um, I'm very interested in people who are not like, they don't even know necessarily uh, the best way to go about this because they're not people of faith. Um, And I think that confuses some people who are picking up a book, thinking it's Christian fiction, like, well, why aren't there any Christians in this? And why aren't they talking about God more? So in Kendra's case, you know, she doesn't really have a strong faith. Okay. And so she's kind of, dealing with this, trying to deal with it on her own and, um, you know, getting some help, but she doesn't like go back to scripture and, and find help or hope there. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of strange to think about 
you know, like, well, what is it that's really helping her get through this? It's kind of a difficult question to answer. (laughs) I think it's reality though, because really, you know, we don't all start our journeys in ones of faith and God's, and God's going to take us through. I mean, you can see God's hand working in your life, even when you're not necessarily seeking his hand. And and you often see it in hindsight. Yes. Yes. And I do like that in fiction where it's not this, I hate to say the word magical, but this magical epiphany that you open the scripture and suddenly the right one falls into your lap and everybody right. It's a journey. And so I like the reality of the characters that you do build in your stories because people can relate to those. Um, and they're a good way of even introducing readers who aren't necessarily Christian into the Christian fiction world and some of the key concepts introduced there without, you know, throwing scripture at every chapter. Right. Yeah. I think that what comes through in my, in my writing and in my books is that there is my worldview there as a Christian person, Mm -hmm. but it's not about, um, trying to get anybody to make a decision or, um, have an epiphany of, you know, faith or, or, or anything like that. It's, it's mostly, I'm really interested in how people fumble about in, in the world and, um, how, how they deal with real problems. And I mean, I know even the people I know who have gone to church their whole lives, they're still not, they're not perfect. They're not always going to go back to scripture and, and have the, I mean, I'm a pastor's wife. I see a lot more, I think, than a lot of people about, about, you know, the struggles that people go through. And some of them, even when they've been in the church for their whole lives, they still struggle to come up with um, a really Christian answer to a lot of things in their right. lives. And, right. and I think that being able to be um, walking alongside of someone and helping them along, even when faith is weak, yeah. is a is a real privilege. And I don't think we should look at those people as, well, you know, this person must not be a Christian or this person isn't a good Christian or a real Christian. Right. Um, you know, people are at their own level and and God's working in their lives. And mm-hmm. it's great to be a part of that as somebody who's encouraging and coming alongside someone and holding them up when they're down. Right. Right. I love, you know, I've been married to a youth pastor and we've been in ministry for many years too. And, you know, one of the phrases I always use is to remind myself to have that graciousness is this is their journey, not yours. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the journey God has them on. And there's not right. a, a um, step-by-step process right. that is copied from person to person. Yeah. And it's neat to watch God's hand working in people, even if they don't know that his hand is there. Right. Well, and, and who am I to say exactly how God is working in someone's life? I mean, you can see when somebody goes through a difficult time, you'll see even like on Facebook or whatever, their friends supposedly helping them by saying, well, you know, you should do this, or this is why this is happening. And God is probably trying to show you this. Well, how would you know? I mean, we live in a fallen world, you know, things, bad things happen. It doesn't mean that God is doing it to you. You It's because we live in a sinful fallen world and God may be working the long game here, you know, like it might not be obvious. And I think people, push back on those easy answers and those easy platitudes. Um, and that's what I like to, to write about is the stuff that's not easy. The stuff where you look in front of you and you see a character has choice A or choice B and guess what? Neither of them are good choices, yeah. but that's all they got. 
I've got. So what do you do with that? And where do you go from there? Which is great. And I'm glad there's authors like you that are willing to go there because that's, that's what I like to call dangerous fiction because it really makes me think. (laughs) I like that. Dangerous fiction. (laughs) But I like it because it's, you know, in in a weird sort of way, we all relate to it because more Mm -hmm. often than not, it is A or B and I don't like really either one. So yeah. Yeah. It's tough being a person sometimes. It is. It is. It is. I look at my cat and go, why can't I be you? (laughs) Cats have no troubles. Only made up troubles. The little like scenarios in their minds that aren't really happening. Oh, there's a sunspot. Should I do that one or that one? Which one do I want to keep in? So anyway, awesome. Okay. So Erin, readers who want to get to know more about your latest release, want to get to know about you and your writing, where can they find out about you and how can they get in touch? Well, I am on Instagram at Erin Bartles Writes. I'm on Facebook at Erin Bartles Author. I prefer Instagram. So if you are somebody who is on it, that's where to follow me. That's where you'll see the most stuff. Um, and I'm also, you know, I've got a website, AaronBartles.com, and you can sign up for a quarterly newsletter there. And um, it's generally quarterly. And then every once in a while, I'll have some other thing to announce. But yeah. um, I used to do a lot of blogging, but I found that the more I was writing, um, you know, fiction and writing to deadline, the more I was like, yeah, I don't have to time for this no I feel you and and I also didn't want to use all my thoughts there you know I wanted to save those up and put them in novels so right so the blog's kind of dead but the website's there there's lots to do there's lots to look at well that's great and so we encourage everybody to check out the girl who could breathe underwater by Erin Bartles and um super super glad to have this chat with you it was definitely not a light topic but no (laughs) I think these are these are the topics that make us realize that sometimes fiction is not far from real life either yeah yeah and that's definitely what I am hoping to do with all of my books is reflect real life great well continue on we look for more books in the future and um, thank you so much for being here thanks Jamie Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.